And Sean Hannity is off. Well-deserved vacation. I'll tell you what, if I did 15 hours of radio a week like Sean did, and an hour of primetime every night in a top-rated show, and I just wrote a book that's a bestseller, Live Free or Die, get your copy, by the way, if you're looking to do some last-minute summer reading, I think I'd take a couple of vacation days, too. Because, let's face it, when fall comes... Unless you're, you know, thrilled about sitting in quarantine for two weeks, you go somewhere else or you're trying to go to another country and you want to sit on a plane, there's not going to be a lot of vacations you could drive to, right? So uh, hopefully Sean is relaxing with some sand beneath the toes and between the toes. I am Joe Concha. You may recognize my voice if you watch the Fox News. I'm on Sean's show pretty much on a weekly basis and other big shows on that network. I'm also a media reporter for The Hill. So this is my first time filling in for Hannity here on this show, 625 stations. Not even a hint of nerves, by the way. We're going to nail this. We're going to have some fun today because there's so much to, to talk about. I mean, how could you not succeed as a talk show radio host at this point with all this insanity going on in the news and the world and the media particularly? And obviously, that's my sweet spot. And I want to start here, folks. Strokahontas was trending on the Twitter just last night. And you say, well, what's Strokahontas? What does that mean? It's this conspiracy theory being pushed by some media, by a former White House press secretary who's now a CNN political analyst named Joe Lockhart. And basically it's implying, no, it's outright saying that the president of the United States had a stroke, visited Walter Reed, and now is covering it up. Now, think about this for a moment. All right. And I'll share a little personal stuff about myself during the show as well. I married an ER doctor. All right. Went above my skis, as they say. And I'm pretty sure, having met other doctors that she's friends with, that in order to pull off this whole Trump had a stroke thing, and now the president's covering it up because obviously you have a stroke, you don't want somebody like that uh, perhaps in office if you feel like they're impaired in any way. That would mean that all those doctors at Walter Reed Medical Center, one of the top medical centers in the world, would also have to be in on it. Is there a grassy knoll involved here too? Where's Oliver Stone when you need him? So again, this stuff is being pushed. And even on CNN, I got to go on there and see Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who only was considered to be a possible candidate to be Surgeon General of the United States under Barack Obama saying, you know, this all just doesn't add up what happened with the president during that visit. Okay. So you're calling every doctor, every PA, every nurse that saw the president that day too. They're all lying and covering this up as well because what? They're committed completely to the president. Therefore, they'll put their careers on the line by covering something like this up that will cost them their careers, their livelihood. Of course not. So again, this is the stuff that gets pushed in our media, and this is why I'll share these three stats, because they really are remarkable. Gallup and the Knight Foundation do a poll just two weeks ago, and they found that 86% of the American people, 86% of the American people, feel that the media is biased. I'd love to meet the other 14%, by the way. Sit down makers mark with those folks, because I want to see how they could explain how there isn't any bias. But fine, 86 is a high number. And the reason why it's a high number, because in 1976, 72%, that's more than 7 in 10, trusted the media, Republicans, Democrats. It didn't matter. You turned on the news, you kind of believe what you heard. And now that number's been completely and totally turned on its head. So then you go to another number from Gallup and the Knight Foundation. 84% of the American people believe the media bears the blame for divide in this country. Wow. So uh, you're supposed to be informing the public 
speaking truth to power, holding the powerful accountable. Instead, the industry is known for dividing the country. So then I look at the DNC and the RNC, Democratic National Convention, Republican National Convention. And I see overwhelmingly Joe Biden's speech was called optimistic and hopeful, and the Democrats nailed it. They did a bang up job. And meanwhile, at the Republican National Convention, the word dark, like it's literally the only word in the dictionary as far as adjectives are concerned, are used to describe the entire RNC. And obviously, this was like WWE of political punditry, right? Where you know the outcome before it actually happens. Well, that's what happened with the Republican National Convention in terms of media coverage. These speeches that were going to happen there last week, predetermined or already going to be panned and already be called a certain word dark as if a memo went out or something, right? So all that media covers, overwhelmingly positive for Biden, overwhelmingly negative for Trump. And what's the result? Biden got 0.0 as far as a bounce is concerned. Nothing out of the convention. I've never seen that happen. And the reason why I haven't, because since 1968, the average bounce after a convention is five points. Five. Biden gets zero. Meanwhile, President Trump, and again, every time you hear about a national poll and Biden is up by X, I saw one today, Biden up 11 in national poll. Oh, okay. What are the state polls saying exactly? And I know what you're saying. Don't even believe the polls at all. And look, I, I believe the Lincoln Project. Do you know them? They're the most anti-Trump organization out there. A bunch of never-Trumpers. Steve Schmidt, the former uh, McCain campaign advisor, and uh, George Conway. And they go down the line. They, they run this group now. And all they do is run anti-Trump ads all day. But even they warn that Trump's support is undercounted in polling. Duh. Some people are just afraid even to tell pollsters that they support the president because of cancel culture, right? I don't want to say it. No, I'm going to say I vote for Biden instead, right? So it's undercounted. And despite all of that, Joe Biden had nearly a seven-point lead just two months ago in the battleground state average. And I'm not cherry-picking one poll. The real clear politics average is an average of eight polls, major polls. This way, you can't just pull one or the other to push a narrative. It tells you overall trends. So Biden's at nearly plus seven in all those battleground states that matter. And we learned about this in 2016 because Hillary Clinton won the popular vote and all that got her was a concession speech and a set of steak knives. That's basically it, right? And early retirement apparently as well. Meanwhile, President Trump won those states that mattered, particularly in the Rust Belt, mid in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and then he won North Carolina, he won Florida, and he won the election quite easily from an electoral college perspective, the most electoral votes for a Republican since 1988. Yet Hillary Clinton won by more than 3 million votes, and that got her nothing again. So again, when you hear a national poll, don't believe it and assume that Trump support is being undercounted. So all that said, in the battleground states, real clear politics average, Joe Biden's now a plus 2.5% advantage over President Trump. In other words, that is a statistical dead heat. And imagine this for a moment. Think about what we've gone through. Through the first eight months of this year, we've lived an entire decade. Let's think about that, right? Because you had the President of the United States impeached. That seems like 10 years ago. No, that was actually this year, believe it or not. And then a pandemic hit a deadly pandemic that shuts down our economy, it shuts down the country, and everybody's miserable. For months on months, they're stuck at home, they're homeschooling their kids. Obviously, the right track, wrong track starts going a really wrong way, right? And whose fault is that? I don't know. Did, did, did President Trump order COVID-19 positive patients back into nursing homes like Andrew Cuomo did? That resulted in at least 12,000 deaths in New York, right? 32,000 just in that state overall. So people say it's Trump's fault. Uh, look, I think everybody dropped the ball on this, quite frankly, is because it's unprecedented. So there was no real playbook because we've never seen anything like this before. All right, so we have impeachment and then we have the pandemic 
And then we have riots in our streets the entire summer that plays themselves out on our TV screens on a nightly basis. Everything seems out of control. So after all of that and the aforementioned overwhelmingly positive press coverage, and you're Joe Biden and you're tied going into Labor Day? Rut row. That's a big problem for the Democratic candidate. And before you say, well, you know, maybe Biden can get the momentum back, which I'm sure not a lot of you are saying, but let's say you play devil's advocate and you say that. You think this candidate, given the way he conducts himself on a daily basis, can actually get a comeback against a President Trump when he barely does press conferences? He finally did one today. Didn't exactly go well. And you can see why that he's only given now three in 150 days while Trump and his press secretary give two on a daily basis, right? So if I saw like a, a really dynamic candidate out there, I'd say, okay, it's a 50-50 toss-up. But since Joe Biden is the candidate, and this isn't even the Joe Biden of 2016 or 2012, the Joe Biden that in the back of people's minds, when they go into the voting booth and they're going to pull that lever, maybe some are going to think, you know what? I'm not sure. I like this Joe Biden, and I'm definitely sure I don't like Joe Biden in his 80s, which he will be if he serves even one term. So if I'm the Democrats, after everything, and you're tied in those states that matter, man, I think you're going to start seeing some changes in terms of the Biden campaign, in terms of the campaign manager, in terms of the way they go about their business. Biden is actually finally, I guess you could call it campaigning. It took him 10 days after his own convention to even leave his basement. Who does that? right? You try to build on the momentum of that. Instead, they think they could play not to lose. The four corners basketball version of politics, as far as Joe Biden is concerned in trying to win this election. And Hillary Clinton tried that. She went in 2016, 270 days without a press conference. And again, didn't get her very far because she thought she had the thing in the bad and de Democrats would have told you in August and July, this thing is done. It's over. Oh yeah. All right. We'll see. Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I think it all comes down to the debates, quite frankly. It, it, that will be uh, the game changer. It was for Reagan against Carter in 1980, and it was for the caucus against Bush in 88, and it certainly was for Ford against Carter in 76. You know, there, there, there is no uh, Soviet influence in Eastern Europe. Yeah, that, that didn't probably uh, go well. So debates can be very, very important. And they announced the debate moderators today. Chris Wallace, Fox News will do the first debate. You remember he did the third debate in 2016. So he is the first one out of the gates. Then you have Steve Scully. You're saying, who else? Is that Vince Scully's son? Who, who is that? Now, Steve Scully is with C-SPAN. And it's it's a great pick because C-SPAN, you never hear people yelling about media bias and C-SPAN. They kind of call it straight. And hopefully they'll stick to policy, you know, the important things. Hey, Joe Biden, you want to have the New Green Deal and uh, that costs trillions in taxes and you want to have universal health care and you want to have free college. So that's trillions more in spending. And even when you say that you're not going to tax anybody below an income of $400,000, the math doesn't work out. It's impossible. You're going to have to raise taxes on all income brackets. How do you answer that? And without a teleprompter, I'd be fascinated to see how Joe Biden does in that situation. Law and order in our streets. Mr. Biden, throughout the whole summer, you didn't say a thing about it while President Trump was trying to actually do something about it in terms of federal resources to places like Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis. Uh, why didn't you speak about it? And particularly at the Democratic National Convention during your 24-minute speech, you didn't mention it once, nor did your running mate, Kamala Harris, who's only you know a former attorney general of California, and she can't be bothered to bring this up. I mean, that's incredible, right? And, and then you have also Kamala Harris saying, on June 1st, everybody forgets this. She actually made a plea 
for people to donate, I'll quote it. If you're able to, chip in now to the MNF Freedom Fund, that's Minneapolis, to help post bail for those protesting on the ground in Minnesota. Literally was trying to get people bailed out that were burning down the city. I'd love to see the vice presidential debate and that question absolutely positively better be asked. All right, and then Kristen Welker, NBC, she gets the third debate on October 22nd. CNN shut out of the debates for the first time since 2008. It's amazing, just four years ago, Anderson Cooper, king of the eye roll and size in CNN primetime when it comes to anybody uh, who supports the president, uh, <laughs> that he was a presidential debate moderator, is quite stunning. So they are out of this particular process. But that's what we're talking about here, guys. And in the end, 80, 90 million people tune into the debates. Everything that happens up until then, I think Trump will still have the momentum because coronavirus in terms of cases and deaths is only going to get better. The economy is going to see a huge Q3 number by the time we're done. We're going to see a huge number at the end of the week as far as jobs being added again. So the economy, everything will be going in the right direction. And obviously law and order, one candidate barely talks about it. The other, it's the centerpiece of his campaign. And in the end, who do you think is going to keep you safe? Joe Biden, who doesn't address the problem, or Donald Trump, who actually does? So if it comes down to those three things, it's hard to see how the incumbent's going to get beat. Because the last time an incumbent got beat was 1992, 28 years ago. Yeah, you're that old when 1992 was 28 years ago. And that was George W. Bush. And that's because the economy was in a recession. And 1980 was the previous incumbent to get beat. That was Jimmy Carter because he was in a recession. If the economy, ours, is doing gangbusters coming out of a recession, how do you vote the guy out? Particularly when the candidate is this version of Joe Biden. And that's something that we all have to be thinking about. Anyway, when we come back, Nancy Pelosi couldn't just get a heavy-duty blow dryer for home, could she? Oh, no. Had to go to a salon in San Francisco. You know, salons that aren't allowed to open to the public. And Fox News gets the story, and she gets caught. We have her reaction and some very exclusive audio, by the way, to go along with it. I am Joe Concha, filling in for Sean Hannity on The Sean Hannity Show. Back with more in a moment. Quoting CNN... Nancy Pelosi is one of the, if not the smartest political strategist in the Democratic Party. Uh huh. So what explains exactly when we're talking about the fact that she went to a hair salon in San Francisco to have her hair done indoors, which would be okay if it were, I don't know, 2019, but it ain't because salons in San Francisco can't be open to the public unless it's like for, I think, like a private kind of thing, right? And the owner was so mad about this. She said, quote, it was a slap in the face that she went in, you know, that she feels that she could just go in there and get her stuff done while no one else can go in and I can't work. And we at the Sean Hannity Show now have exclusive audio footage of Pelosi's hair being done. That sounds like a, a high-powered machine there, most likely getting the keratin, which always gets my curls out. But here's the thing. Pelosi's office told CNN that the speaker had worn a mask for the entirety of her visit, except for when she had her hair washed. How does that make sense? Leave the thing on. Actually, you know what? Don't go to the hair salon. It's quite simple. 
Joe Concha, media reporter for The Hill, filling in for Sean Hannity on The Sean Hannity Show. Live Free or Die is the book, by the way, you want to get for Labor Day weekend. And Sean says on the show over and over again, and this is 100% accurate, for once it is anyway, this is the most important election of our lifetimes. And I know probably some of you roll your eyes a little bit when you hear that. You're like, yeah, I think I heard that in 2016, 2012, 2008, 2004, it's the most important election of our lifetime. But this time, it kind of is. Kind of. It really is. Because I've never seen such a contrast between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party before, between conservatives and liberals. The, the Democratic Party has gone so far left that if you're moderate, you look like you're on the right at this point. And again, in terms of law and order and what we see going on in our American cities of Portland and Seattle and Minneapolis and Atlanta, New York, trust me, where I am is an absolute mess where they're actually taking away a billion dollars from the police force. In a related story, shootings are up 177% when you compare it to July of 2019, when you look at July of 2020. So it's a very easy argument, quite frankly, for the president to make, and he has been making it. If you want America to look like Portland, to look like Bill de Blasio's New York, to look like Minneapolis, vote for the other guy, because that's what you're going to start to see. And trust me, I know. I got my car stolen two weeks ago out of my driveway. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. Now, did I leave my keys in it? Yes, I did. Stupidest invention of all time, by the way. The whole, you don't have to put your keys in the ignition thing anymore. Hey, as long as it's in the car, the car will start. Who thought of this? It's ridiculous. Particularly, I got a six-year-old, I got a four-year-old, I got a dog that goes with me everywhere I go, groceries all the time, whatever. Once in a while, you may forget that your keys are in that pouch that you don't see underneath the steering wheel. So apparently the uh, the criminals, uh, they, they have this technology. And I don't know if this is true or not. I, I hear a bunch of different things from people, but they could tell whether the keys are still in the car or not from the bottom of the driveway. So then I get a call a couple of days ago that the car has been recovered. Yay! In Newark, New Jersey. Shock. It's the first place, actually, the police said. You know, it's probably in Newark. And the reason why Newark is because that has the ability to get it shipped out of the country and then be halfway to Cairo before you know what's going on. And that's usually the plan, the, to just repurpose it and sell it somewhere else. But apparently, uh, these were uh, folks that uh, didn't have a home or something because when I went to go visit my car, it was totaled. They crashed it. And then when I looked inside of it, uh, it looked like my room when I was 16. Clothes everywhere bottles everywhere. It looked like a whole family was living in there or some sort of service perhaps was being uh, offered out of the car, which I, I'm not riding that thing again. Are you kidding me? But I think when the, the airbags come out, then it's considered total. Anyway, I don't want to talk about myself too much. The point is that when you have crime in major cities and then everybody leaves those cities, then eventually the crime is going to start to spread to other places like, you know, the suburbs. So this is something that the president certainly has been warning about. And you want to talk about an exodus, by the way. Amazing data here from United Van Lines, all right? And Bloomberg put this together, Bloomberg News. And people are now flooding into these following states, Vermont, Idaho, Oregon, South Carolina. And this is what United Van Lines is showing that, okay, when people are moving, are they moving to another town in their state? No, they are getting the hell out of Dodge. I mean, way out of Dodge because you can work from every, anywhere now. Think about this. I mean, you can do any kind of work without having to go into an office because, you know, you don't have to fax anything anymore. The internet's probably just as good at home as it is in an office. And quite frankly, you could have these meetings now on Zoom or Cisco, whatever, and anywhere in the world with anybody anytime without having to get the whole conference room thing going. 
So if you could work from anywhere, why would you stay in a city like New York? Stay in a city like New York where crime is going through the roof. You don't even feel safe walking down the street anymore. And you're paying a crap load to live there. So not a good combination. Expensive and not safe. No thanks. So people are going to these other states. Now listen to these stats. It's incredible. Everybody is leaving these states at record numbers. New York, Illinois, New Jersey, Connecticut. New Jersey being the most. This is what United Van Line says. No other state has seen a greater exodus than New Jersey, where out of every 10 moves, okay, every 10 moves, seven have been households leaving the state or three times as many that have moved in. You see what I'm talking about here, guys? Everything is changing now, and that's what's going to define the election because this these are things that people feel, right? I got to leave my city. I got to leave my town because it's getting too dangerous. Who do you think they're going to vote for? They may not even like the president in terms of some of the tweets that he sends out or some of the fights that he picks or some of the way that he conducts himself. Many of you love that, quite frankly. That's why his party loyalty numbers are somewhere in the 90% range, right? Uh, He hasn't lost, I don't think, many votes from 2016. He may have even gained them, as a matter of fact. And then you could even make the argument, and this is one hell of an argument that I never thought I would make in my lifetime, that Hillary Clinton may actually even be a better candidate than Joe Biden. Because at least you didn't question certain things about her mental acuity, right? I know she, you know, had, I think we're almost on the anniversary of this, as a matter of fact, where she collapsed near that van at that 9-11 ceremony. Uh, That was a a turning point in that election accidentally, absolutely, because you're thinking, okay, well, you know, is she all with it? Uh, Does does she have uh, everything about her there? So it's crazy. And and then look, a lot of people aren't feeling too great about themselves either in terms of their marriages. I was always curious about this. Are we going to have the type of thing where if you're at home more a lot because of a pandemic, therefore a big spike in babies and maybe couples kind of get back to getting to know each other again instead of being on the go constantly, right? Where they could really spend time with each other, have some nice conversations. Oh no, it's a disaster. The more time you spend with your spouse, apparently the worse it is. Divorce rates, according to Fox News, have spiked in the US during the coronavirus pandemic as couples have been stuck at home for months. You know what the number is? 34% higher from March through June compared to March through June of 2019. Wow. I mean, that's an incredible number. I think I'm happier more than ever. Plus, my wife is listening to the show right now. So what do you think I'm going to say? No, everything is good in the Concha household. No question about that. I want to get back to Nancy Pelosi for a second, if I can, because I really think that this is the type of thing that sticks, right? The utter hypocrisy of this woman, the elitism to again, and I want to correct myself before, San Francisco could only have salons open outside. And I don't know if you've ever been to San Francisco in the summer, but I think the old saying is that the coldest winter I ever spent was a summer I spent in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. So again, maybe not the most optimum conditions. And again, how many seats can you put outside? How much electricity can you get outside? These salons, they're, they're, they're like New York City restaurants. They're failing left and right now because California won't allow them to reopen. And then for her to go there and have the audacity not to think that somebody might have a problem with this, where they run back to a news organization, in this case, Fox News, and say, I can't believe she walked in here and did this. And I'm going to tell you all about it. And she had her mask off half the time. I'm telling you, it's just like when she had that ice cream party. I don't know if you remember this, but this was a couple of months ago. 
And she's on James Gordon's show uh, on CBS. It's like a late show after Colbert. And she's having a conversation with him as far as the ice cream in a refrigerator. She has two refrigerators behind her during this video. It's bigger than my first apartment in Hoboken, New Jersey. I couldn't believe this. And she's talking about how she's ordered like dozens of, of, of things of ice cream when, when people, millions are out of work and they can't find another job. You work at a restaurant, you lose your job during a pandemic. It's not like you can walk down to the other restaurant down the street and apply. And then she's on TV talking about this. I believe we have the sound of this conversation that she had with CBS in that late night show. And it is utterly and completely out of touch and quite frankly, obnoxious. Play it, go. Oh my God. Wow. Other people in our family go for some other flavors, but chocolate, and then we have some other chocolate here. <laughs> See, I've always felt a connection with you, and now I understand why. Oh. Mm. Since you've been uh, isolating in your house, how much uh, of, your, of your regular diet do you think is ice cream and candy? Well, uh, um, as much as possible. Uh, it is, uh, it, 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 I enjoy it. I like it better than anything else. And I don't know why, but it seems to agree with me. I have a lot of energy and we just got to restock the ice cream uh, right for Easter Sunday because we were, shall we say, enjoying. I don't know what I would have done if ice cream were not invented. Two words. It's actually a name. Marie Antoinette. That's the only thing that comes to mind when you listen to this. And she's called by CNN, the smartest politician in Washington. Uh, yeah. Nah. Not even close. And as the House Speaker likes to say, we pray. We pray for the House Speaker at this time. because She's actually getting criticism, including from CNN, who says, Chris Eliza, of all people, saying this is a campaign gift for President Trump. I'm surprised the ad isn't even out yet as far as Pelosi and the hair salon, because you're not just running against Joe Biden. You are running against Nancy Pelosi, and you are running against Chuck Schumer, and you are running against AOC and Bernie Sanders. Because we all know if Joe Biden is actually elected, that those are the people that will really be running the country. And it kind of makes sense. I'm not just throwing that out there. Pelosi's the House Speaker, right? That's where bills get started. Then it goes to the Senate. And if Biden wins, there's a chance the Senate could go back, pretty good chance, as a matter of fact, back in the hands of Democrats. So now they have an open freeway, all right, as far as passing whatever they want. Starts with Pelosi, goes to Schumer. And by the way, the legislation with Pelosi is written by AOC. And then in the Senate is written by Bernie Sanders or by Elizabeth Warren. If, if Warren isn't in Biden's cabinet, I'm pretty sure she will be, probably Treasury, right? And then it goes up to Biden. What do you, you think he's going to veto anything? No. I mean, Democrats at least are very loyal to each other in terms of getting things done and standing together. Uh, you know, you remember what happened with President Trump as far as health care in 2017 and John McCain with the, the famous thumbs down that, that killed that vote. There's no McCain's in the Democratic Party. No one is going to stand up to Pelosi or AOC or Schumer. So they're going to pass whatever they want. When you hear Green New Deal, you think that's a pipe dream. No, it ain't. That This is all happening if Joe Biden wins. And that's why, like in Sean's book, Live Free or Die, he says this is the most important election of our lifetime because the country will be more than fundamentally changed under a Democratic administration, given if it lines up House, Senate, White House, all one party, it's, it's lights out. It's over. And by the way, what is it with Democrat leaders being the biggest hypocrites of all time in terms of saying one thing and telling the public, you can't open this business, you can't congregate at this particular church, but then they do another. Lori Lightfoot, 
Chicago. In the Pelosi vein, she was Pelosi before Pelosi on the salon thing. A couple months ago, she got her hair done while Chicago salons, Illinois salons, weren't allowed to be open. And her excuse was, I'm a public figure. I re- I'm the face of the city. Therefore, I have to look good. Ah, okay. And then you have de Blasio here in New York, Bill de Blasio, who, I, again, how he hasn't resigned. Well, I guess, you know, you have to have some pride in order to resign, right? But how more people, even Cuomo wants him out. I mean, let's face it. But the fact that he actually was going to gyms as he announced that they were closing back in March, or when you're only supposed to have essential travel, and he still was going from Gracie Mansion, which literally has a park right next to it in Manhattan, and going all the way out to Brooklyn so he could walk in his favorite park. It's just so easy to fact check this stuff too, by the way, right? I mean, how hard is this? We know that there's going to be cameras following de Blasio or Lightfoot. And in Pelosi's case, there's video of her actually in the salon. And maybe the salon owners aren't crazy about the fact that they can't open. They're probably going to say something. So it's not just hypocrisy. It's stupidity. You know you're going to get caught. But I guess maybe when you think that the media mostly is on your side, then, you know, there's not going to be the kind of blowback that you would see, for instance, if a Republican did something like that. I want to talk about some uh, analytics firm, by the way, guys and girls who are listening out there. And Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity, Sean Hannity Show. A Democratic analytics firm has this scenario, and it's a quite remarkable one. I want to talk about this with our pollsters uh, that are coming up uh, in the next hour. Uh, and, and these are top pollsters, by the way. And I will tease uh, you by not revealing their names, but one may be named <laughs> Rasmussen and others. But we talk about, they have a scenario where Trump wins in a landslide on election night, but then loses weeks later after mail-in votes are counted, and then no one trusts the outcome of the election. Can't you see that happening? I want to talk about that more because that's a very real possibility. Joe Concha, Sean Hannity Show. Thanks for listening. Big show coming up. Leo Terrell as well will be joining us. And former Governor Mike Huckabee. Big show Wednesday, September. Stick around. Joe Concha in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Show on this Wednesday, the last Wednesday of summer. I know we go to like September 21st, but hey, let's face it. This is it. Labor Day this weekend. And then the long fall and winter and spring, which is the worst season of the three, by the way. Just thought I'd share that. March and April, horrendous months. Uh, That's what's going on. By the way, you know how Labor Day started? I'm going to share before we bring in Governor Mike Huckabee. Uh, Apparently, uh, way back when, uh, we had a presidential election where the incumbent uh, wasn't doing too well, right? So he decided that he was going to create this thing called Labor Day. Isn't that nice? And this way, all the workers can get off. And boy, that's a good way to to get some votes, right? Well, the the problem uh, is that the decision was just kind of made randomly, like, well, when should we do this? How about we do it the first Monday in September to honor and recognize the American labor movement? No one really put any thought into this, but September actually is probably the nicest month of the summer, except we blow it all up on the first Monday in September. Why are we doing this for? I mean, it's it's just like, I think we should move back summer. I think it should start in mid-June and end in mid-September. Because right now, it's still too hot to like go to a fall type of mentality, right? I mean, am I missing something here? Anyway, just thought I'd share that that little story. And before we bring in Governor Mike Huckabee and, you know, uh, Linda, the producer, who's a tremendous producer, by the way, asked me, who do you want on this show? And after I went through at least 17 to 18 guests, 
we decided that Mike Huckabee was the man that was going to join me as my first guest. Governor, how are you? You know, Joe, that is exactly what Linda told me. She said there was more than 17, and you went through all the people you wanted. None of them were available. And Linda said, call Huckabee. Nobody wants him. I know he'll be available. You're like Mikey during the life commercials. Give it to Mikey. He'll eat it. He'll eat anything. No, I I'll, I swear to you, and Linda could, could back this up. You, you were the first choice because you do something in cable news that so few people do, Governor. And that is you actually have a sense of humor, right? And so everybody's so angry. And yay, you make your point. But hey, we're still human beings, right? So I, I it's kind of like it fits what I'm trying to do here. Like, hey, I want to inform, but I want to make you laugh once in a while. But right now, I'm going to get everybody pissed off, if, if you don't mind. And I think you are with me on this too, Governor. And that is that, as you call it, anarchist goons, they've defaced Graceland, freaking Graceland, the home of Elvis. What does he have to do with the Black Lives Matter movement and all the social justice stuff that we're seeing here? The mansion vandalized. I mean, look, they've gone too far, Governor Huckabee. You mess with Elvis, you mess with Huckabee. Well, absolutely. Listen, if you grew up like I did in the South, there are three great heroes that you never say anything bad about. Elvis, Jesus, and FDR, not necessarily in that order. Now, many of us kind of got over FDR, and we went to Ronald Reagan. But Elvis still reigns supreme. And if you go and start painting uh, obscenities on Graceland, look, people say, well, but there's already been graffiti. No, that's not graffiti. That's when people sign their name in love notes to Elvis. That's fine. But when you start putting obscenities and you degrade Elvis, now you've done cross the line, Joe. You can't do that where I come from. Here's the tragedy. Elvis Presley did far more for race relations in America than any elected official ever has. Period. Nobody brought people together through the medium of music any more than Elvis did. And quite frankly, he wasn't the only one. There were many great musical artists as well as sports figures, who changed the way that people looked at race. So rather than go and deface Graceland, they ought to go and light a candle and thank God that Elvis Presley helped to create new levels of understanding when black and white music fans would sit together and listen to Elvis and not care about what color anybody was. And we're talking to Governor Mike Huckabee. He has a new book coming out, The Three C's. And actually, it is out, I should say. Three C's that made America great. Christianity, capitalism, and the Constitution. Uh, it'll make your day. Uh, please do read it uh, if you're not buying Sean's book or buy both. You know, you can read two books at once, live for your diet. <laughs> and obviously, he is a Fox News contributor as well. And look, do you, do you think that these rioters or so-called protesters... Are they understanding yet that by doing all these things, by defacing things like Graceland or taking down statues of Washington or Jefferson or abolitionists, that it only helps elect the guy that they appear to be trying to get out of office? Because this is just one campaign after another, it seems, Governor. Joe, if someone paid for these people who are doing this stuff, if they paid for them and have an education, they ought to demand their money back because they really got ripped off. I, I've never seen a group of people who were as clueless about the history of America. And it's something that I don't understand how you can grow up in this country and somehow believe that the enemies of our freedom were Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Andrew Jackson. Yet the mayor of Washington, D.C., a city that was named after George Washington, 
is now putting together a commission so they can study whether they ought to get rid of the various statues, not just to Christopher Columbus, but to Andrew Jackson and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Ben Franklin. And I'm thinking, okay, let's get rid of our electricity. That would be a real tribute to Ben Franklin. Uh, Get rid of the Washington and Jefferson memorials. Uh, Open up some park space in D.C. How dumb must you be to make such a suggestion? It is beyond me. And that's the thing. I went to George Washington Junior High School in a little town called Wayne, New Jersey. And now I understand when they go back this year, they'll be attending the Colin Kaepernick Junior High School. So that that's that's certainly a big problem. You're kidding. Uh, <laughs> you, you've got to be kidding, right? Uh, I, I sold kidding. that well, didn't I? I mean, I got you almost there. <laughs> but couldn't you see it at some point? There'll be a Kaepernick High School. Well, here's you the know? thing. Instead of going between classes on your uh, on your feet, you have to walk on your knees to each class if you do the Colin Kaepernick thing. I, that would be just too much, I think, even in New Jersey. But, uh, yeah, you got me on that one. And, Governor, you know why I know that the Kaepernick's a phony? Because after criminal justice reform was signed, right, and that was Democrats right in the House and Republicans in the Senate and obviously President Trump that spearheaded this, after that was passed, I would think Colin Kaepernick would put out a statement saying, this is progress. This is good. This is what I'm talking about. Glad to see our leaders come together. And of course, he doesn't say a thing because it, Colin Kaepernick isn't really about the cause that he's, he doesn't talk about, by the way. He doesn't really say anything. He is about the fact that by having this issue, that's his brand. And if things start to get better in certain situations, then the brand goes away. So I, I, I just I just find him to be such a phony. And again, this, he's like Biden in the sense where he doesn't do any interviews uh, or tough interviews with anyone. So how do I really know what he's thinking? Right. And what I want to talk about next is the, the Democratic nominee in Joe Biden and the fact that whenever he does uh, almost all public events, uh, he runs off the stage, as does his running mate, Kamala Harris. And I'm just wondering if Democrats saw the 2016 movie where Hillary Clinton, speaking of going to a knee, to use a football term, thought she could go to a knee, (laughs) run out the clock, and yay, we're going to win the election. They saw that happen, and they're doing the same exact thing. And I kind of think at some point, campaign managers, or there's going to be some sort of shakeup in the Biden campaign, because the real core politics average in the states that matter, battleground, real core politics is an index of eight polls. It's something, it's a dead heat now at this point. And given everything that's happened this year, if you're tied going into Labor Day, the incumbent's looking pretty good right now. Well, I still think that there are a lot of people who will not answer the poll questions correctly because they don't want to be called a misogynist, a homophobe, a, gosh. Cancel culture, right? A xenophobe. A germaphobe. They don't want to be called any kind of phobe at all. Uh, and, and the fact is they're afraid somebody will come and burn their house down if they say they're going to vote for Trump. But there are – I think there's a growing level of enthusiasm for Trump. And they may not like all of his personality. They may detest some of his tweets. But they look at what's happening in major cities of this country, and they ask themselves, do you think Joe Biden would stand up and put a stop to it? And they know the answer is no. He won't even really call it out. Now, he did finally, finally, after months, say, yeah, looting and rioting, those aren't good things. But he still won't specifically call out the mayors of these cities who have tolerated. He won't call out his own vice presidential pick for her staffers giving money to bail out the people who caused the riots. So I think he's got a lot to answer for. I don't think he's going to come around. And the worst problem is, he's, I call him Puxcatani Pux, uh, Joe. You know, he comes out of his uh, hidey hole, he looks around, and he sees that there's still going to be an election in a couple of months, and then he goes back in the hole. 
And that's amazing because, you know, I don't think it's six more weeks to, to the election, but we're, we're pretty darn close. And, and uh, Joe Biden certainly seeing his shadow right now, because uh, as you said, I, I think the president has all of the momentum in the world. And we're talking to Governor Mike Huckabee. He is a Fox News contributor. Also, 8 p.m. host. He loves his Saturday night shows. You know, he had one on Fox. Now he has one on TBN. Uh, Eight o'clock. You can watch that or Sundays at nine o'clock Eastern. Uh, Mike, we, we have a, a similar um I guess, benefit in terms of we really don't have to get our hair blow dried very often, right? I mean, it kind of stays in one place. And, and, and you yeah. know, three minutes and I'm done, maybe maybe less, right? But Nancy Pelosi, apparently, this is a big priority to the point where she had to go to a salon, uh, an indoor one, mind you, when salons in San Francisco could only be opened outdoors to get her hair done. This is the same woman that has, oh well, yeah, and we actually have exclusive audio here, Mike. I don't know if you could hear it, but that is the blow dryer that was used in this particular situation. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I remember I that, that ice cream video. By Hillary Clinton. I, I, I really oh, did. I thought that's what you were playing. The aforementioned humor that I mentioned. <laughs> right. It's, 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 yeah. Look, the, the bottom line is that I remember she did that, that interview with CBS where she's talking about with these two refrigerators that I swear, I said it before, I'll say it again, they were bigger than my apartment in Hoboken back in 96. And, and she has <laughs> ice cream in it. And she's talking about how she ordered cases more. And this is after like, this is the height of the pandemic, right? So now she yeah. goes ahead and does this. And Marie Antoinette is the only thing I could think of in terms of a name here. This uh, we're talking about campaign ads for Trump. How is there not one out yet from the Trump campaign? Because this is gold for them as far as they're concerned. Well, and she's walking through that salon as the uh, the photo reveals. No mask. She has right. been telling everybody else in America, you must wear a mask and you cannot go to a salon. Then she says, but I'm Nancy. I'm fancy Nancy. I can go to the salon when I want. I don't have to wear a mask because the rules are not for me. They're for the little people. And that's how she views America as the little people, the not so worthy, the deplorables. And I just think a lot of Americans, Joe, are seeing through this. They don't want double standards. They just want fair rules. We see it from de Blasio, or as I call him, de Blabio. He goes to the gym every day but tells other New Yorkers they can't. You've got the uh, mayor of Philadelphia. He goes and does indoor dining, but no one else can. And then you've got Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago. Nobody can get a haircut, but she can because she's got to look nice. That's right. And, 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 and that's what I said in the last hour. It's not just hypocrisy and elitism. It's also stupidity. Because if you're doing this stuff, somebody, everybody has a camera now because it's on their phone. Somebody's going to record you. <laughs> or the salon owner is probably yeah. not happy with you because she can't open. So she's going to go to a news organization. And that's that. Uh, hey, by the way, uh, you want to go to MikeHuckabee.com. You subscribe there. And wh- what can you get on that website, Mike, before we have to go? Joe, we have a twice-daily newsletter. It's delivered absolutely free of charge, and it's really a take on the day's news with a little bit of humor in there. Um, We really work hard to put together a great newsletter. Usually can be read in seven or eight minutes, but every day, two times a day, you get a newsletter. There's no cost because it's advertiser-supported. So I hope you'll go, MikeHuckabee.com, and sign up. All right. It's a done deal. And the bass guitar, Mike, are you still playing? And are bass, are fenders, are those just guitars, or they make basses also? Oh, they make great basses, some of the best. And by the way, uh, this weekend on my show, Don McLean of American Pie fame will be on. We taped a segment to do the 50th anniversary of the song American Pie. That'll run next year. But oh, wow. this weekend, he'll do a Starry Starry Night with us. So I get to play with uh, the artists that we have. It's pretty cool. 
And you know you're old when American Pie is now 50. So, Governor Mike Cockabee, oh, thanks for joining yeah. us. <laughs> we'll have you back soon. This is Joe Concha in for Sean Hannity, the Sean Hannity Show. Leo Terrell next hour, and we talk polling, polling, polling after the next break. This is Joe Concha. Stick around. Uh, some breaking news. I just broke two ribs falling off my chair. I, I just watched during the commercial break Nancy Pelosi at a press conference talking about the Monday Salon incident. If you're just tuning in and you've been under Iraq or in the actual country of Iraq, maybe you haven't heard, but Nancy Pelosi went to an indoor hair salon to get the hair done when salons aren't even allowed to be opened unless you're outdoors. She demanded an indoor session. And then there's video obtained by Fox News showing that she wasn't even wearing a mask. This is somebody that's been lecturing about wearing a mask uh, since March. And meanwhile, is part of California lawmaker mentality that says that salons and the people that own these poor businesses aren't even allowed to open indoors. Well, here's what she had to say, and we'll have the audio in a little bit. Quote, I take responsibility for trusting the word of the neighborhood salon that I've been to many times. It was a setup, and I take responsibility for falling for a setup. She also adds, I think that this salon owes me an apology for setting me up. It was all a sting, everybody. She got duped. No, she didn't. This is insanity. She broke her own rule, her own law. Stop digging, Nancy. This is a campaign ad for the Trump campaign within 24 hours. I absolutely friggin' guarantee it. Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity, the Sean Hannity Show. Much more coming up, stick around. We are sounding an alarm and saying that this is a very real possibility, that the data is going to show on election night an incredible victory for Donald Trump. That is likely to be what we see when every legitimate vote is tallied and we get to that final day, which will be someday after election day. It will in fact show that what happened on election night was exactly that, a mirage. It looked like Donald Trump was in the lead and he fundamentally was not when every ballot it gets counted. And that was an Axios interview with a Democratic analytics firm co-founder. And he laid out, as you heard, this scenario, which is very plausible in my mind. And I, I want to talk to three gentlemen who know a little bit more about uh, polling and the pulse of the American people as far as what America is thinking uh, on this. But couldn't you see it? President Trump wins rather easily, perhaps, on election night when you're just dealing with votes that are cast that day and night, but then the mail-in ballots start to trickle in over weeks upon weeks. And let's face it, we're not going to have uh, this presidential election decided until after you eat your Thanksgiving meal. I can guarantee you that. Maybe even not until Christmas Eve or when the ball drops. Wouldn't that be a hell of a breaking news story? But anyway, let's bring in Scott Rasmussen, who has the number of the day. It's a new podcast just launched on justthenews.com or on iTunes or anywhere you download your favorite podcast. We also have John McLaughlin, who I've never spoken to before, and I've always wanted to. He's a pollster and a strategist. And of course, Matt Towery, I read him. He is a syndicated columnist, attorney, and pollster. They're here to break down and analyze the polls following the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention, which I want to get to, gentlemen, in a moment. But you, hopefully you heard that soundbite coming in. 
Uh, what are the chances of something like that happening where Trump wins on election night, so to speak, and then it's taken away from him because of mail-in ballots that are counted weeks, maybe even months later from what we're seeing in New York and New Jersey and some local elections fat around here? And I'll go to you, Scott, first. Go ahead. Yeah, in my in my last uh, latest polling among likely voters, Biden is up by four points. But there's a huge break among people who plan to vote in person. Trump leads 56, 56 landslide territory among those who plan to vote by mail. Biden leads 70 to 23. Uh, so, you know, one conclusion from that is the soundbite you just described is accurate and also says that you know the real question is will these people who say they're going to vote by by mail actually show up and do it will take part what is the turnout going to be it's always the question and john mclaughlin what, what we're seeing here as far as i'm seeing two polls and i pay attention to only one quite frankly in terms of the real clear politics index of polls because at least that's an average and i can see a general trend you know i, I see so many people in journalism just pick a poll cherry pick it and they, they kind of paint a narrative around it even if it's like an outlier but hey it's see it's telling the story but I, I i can't believe still the fact that national news organizations breathlessly report national polls when you know, winning the popular vote gets you a concession speech and a set of steak knives if you don't win the electoral college. So in terms of your polling, what are you seeing in terms of President Trump's prospects as we're now, what, uh, almost 50 days from Election Day? Well, since I work for the campaign, the campaign, the Trump campaign, we don't release our polls. But I will tell you, there are a lot of good polls out there. And there's good pollsters on, on this call where it's based on likely voter models of what actually happens. The average in real clear politics actually lags because a lot of the media polls are done of adults or done of registered voters, but not likely voters. Because last time we had a record turnout, 139 million people. But there's yeah. over 130, 230 million people that are eligible. And, and colleges like Quinnipiac that ought to stick to academics, they're doing polling today and then put it out. It's only 25% Republican. We were 33% on Election Day in 2016 and 33% in a bad year in 2018. And they, every point they take Republicans down because Trump gets over 90% of the Republicans, they're skewing the polls. And they do it on purpose. Now good polls are coming out. We have Emerson College, so there's a good college. They have a very they have us within two points nationally. We were within three, but we won the like you said, we won the electoral vote last time. And because in the top eight Democrat states, Clinton had a landslide of ten million votes. The other forty two states we won by three million. So President huh. Trump is now coming up and winning battleground states in polls like uh, the landmark poll in Georgia has us up to, uh, you've got ECU in, in, uh, uh, North Carolina has, uh, Eastern Carolina has us up to in, uh, in that media poll. And it's, and Monmouth College puts out a poll that we're really close in Pennsylvania, maybe within a point. So ever since they signed the Bernie Sanders socialist unity statement, Pick Kamala Harris. The radical left took this guy over. We went up during their convention. We went up during our convention. And now you see a president who's handling hurricanes, who's going out to Kenosha, who's dragging Joe Biden out of the basement because they're afraid they're going to lose. And we're going to prove them right. And let's talk to syndicated columnist Matt Towery. And to that point, I've never seen Matt, and look, I'm, I'm not that old, I don't think. I think I'm approaching the back nine, but 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 I wasn't around for 1968, but I know since 1968 that the average convention gets a five-point bounce going out of it. Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. And the Democratic National Convention, despite overwhelming positive 
media coverage in terms of Joe Biden knocking it out of the park with his speech and Kamala Harris giving an inspiring speech and just everything that we heard about it. They got 0.0, to quote Dean Wormer, 0.0 in terms of mouse. I've never seen that before. And it seems like the president does have momentum because there appears to be a bounce coming out of his election. What are you seeing? Well, first of all, Joe, I'm happy that someone knows who Dean Warmer is. <laughs> I enjoy that. That's very funny. 1978, that movie came out, so I was exactly. alive for that one. Exactly. Yes. exactly. Okay, so here's my take. Um, first of all, the conventions are I, – I think the Democrats had sort of a mediocre convention. The Republicans had a great one because no one expected it to be as good as it was, and also it was live. And live people always do better than people you know, who are, who are zooming in. That having been said, let me talk about what you said earlier, and that is about the, the mail-in ballot uh, vote. Um, I, you know, I was a pollster and a lot of other things, but I also was an elected official. I was in the Georgia House of Representatives. Let me tell you guys right now, we're not going to have this giant mail-in vote, um, at least with regard to uh, universal voting, because it's not being paid for. It's not there. So the, the mail-in vote will be absentee voters, and, and that's where the Trump campaign has to be concerned. We've been seeing in our polling that the only problem that Donald Trump has is with the senior voters. They're over 65, and they're a little nervous over the virus. Now that the virus is becoming under control, and we're beginning to see in states like Florida and other states that it's, it's going down, and Georgia as well, to John's point, we're seeing the polling move to Trump's favor. So I don't think we're going to have this massive, overwhelming mail-in vote, except in liberal states that don't vote for Trump anyway. And I think in states like North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and the like, they're trending Trump, and I think they'll continue to trend Trump unless something changes. And by the way, did anybody see Joe Biden today? I mean, the man is still very difficult to understand, and he's all over the place. So I don't know how he's going to debate three times. I told Sean two, two months ago, I don't think they'll debate. I still don't think they'll debate. I think they'll find wow. a way not to do it. Wouldn't that be just basically, Matt, though, uh, I don't know, white flag of surrender, right? I mean, I get that well, the less Joe Biden is out there, yeah. the better, but that, that would be the calculation. What would be the excuse, you think? Well, Joe, the, the, the issue is this. Do you put a man out there to debate who can't really stay on his on his game, even when he's looking in, in a teleprompter. And the, right. the question right now, and I think they've got about seven to eight days because we're printing these ballots in these states. The early ballots go out in about eight to nine, ten days. they got to figure out what they're going to do with Joe Biden because right now I don't think he can go through three debates. And that's no uh, uh, dishonor of him. He actually uh, is like Joe Biden. I think he's a, a fairly decent guy. But I don't think he's where he was even uh, a year ago when he debated the other candidates for the Democratic nomination. Well, it, it seems clear that when you take him away from a teleprompter in very scripted situations, that you are seeing a different Joe Biden, who did a very good job, by the way, in 2012 against Paul Ryan in that vice presidential debate. Remember, it was very key because Mitt Romney actually cleaned Barack Obama's clock in the first debate. Yeah. And that vice presidential debate became very crucial. And Biden was actually sharp and aggressive. I, I don't know. If we, we're seeing that sort of person now, let's go to Scott Rasmussen real quick. And, and Scott, what are you seeing as far as, you know, I, I saw all these, I re, I'm old enough to remember also 2019, where CNN and MSNBC did all of these marathon town halls around climate change or around uh, gay rights. And and look, th those are those are issues that are important to some people. But when you look at polling in terms of 
what is most important to you? What, what are you going to vote about on election day in terms of issues? And those are more towards the bottom. So what are you seeing now going into this election as far as top three issues? Does it go something like law and order, economy, coronavirus, or flip that around? Are those the three issues and the only three issues that will ultimately decide this election? Well, there's there's two pairs of issues that are driving this. The, the biggest is still the coronavirus and all the related carnage with the uh, election, uh, with the economy thing else. On that front, uh, trends are moving in the president's direction. Uh, this week, 27 percent of voters say the worst of the pandemic is behind us. Now, that doesn't sound like a great number, but it's up seven points from two weeks ago. It's up 12 points from two months ago. The number who say the worst is still to come has fallen below the 50 percent level. The People are beginning to, to think, it's not that they're in Pollyanna land, they're not saying it's all over, but, but they're beginning to say, we can deal with this. And the more that happens, the more people feel better about uh, reopening society, the better off they'll be. Second issue cluster is civil rights or law and order. And look, when the topic is civil, right after um, you know, the, the protests began in June uh, and the focus is on civil rights, that's a bad topic for President Trump. And that's why Joe Biden got a nice bump in the polls at that time. The more it shifts to law and order, the better it is for President Trump. And with all due respect to Matt and John, you know, I don't think the conditions had all that much of an impact on the tightening that we're seeing. I think it was all about what was happening in the real world. And the focus is shifting away from civil rights and to uh, law and order. And that's simply a, a reality that the Democrats right now and Joe Biden are trying to react to. They're trying to play catch up on. And you got to listen to Scott Rasmussen's new number of the day, number of the day. That is the new podcast that is on justthenews.com, on iTunes, anywhere you download your favorite con, uh, your favorite podcast, he meant to say. Uh, so John McLaughlin, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious <laughs> as far as uh, this election, and obviously, you know, you say you work for the campaign, but just for the folks at home, because I get a lot of pushback whenever I share a, a poll, because uh, they say, well, they got it so wrong in 2016. And th those are obviously the forecast models, right? That would show uh, New York Times had President Trump only had something like a 26% chance of winning or Huffington Post, which was utterly ridiculous. Uh, going on into election day, Donald Trump had a 1% chance of winning. The polls themselves nationally were fairly accurate, right? Because I think it showed a two-point a difference between the candidates and, and Hillary Clinton, again, won, so to speak, the popular vote by three points. And again, that, that got her an early retirement uh, up in upper uh, upstate New York. So all of that said, when we're looking now ahead to this election and people say, well, how does polling work? If they're calling landlines, then I never answer my landlines. I, I, I probably think it's going to be a solicitation call. How do you get in touch with these folks in order to get these numbers as accurate as they've been? It's, 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 you're right. It's a lot more difficult. And, you know, we probably have to call you at the Jersey Shore or something like that. <laughs> How'd you know? I've met you down there before. You don't remember. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> like, right. Anyway. We have yeah, met. Yeah. Was I, was yeah, I sober yeah. at the time? Because there's a 94% uh, chance I wasn't. You were. Okay. You were. You were very good. You were. <laughs> but, but, but we both were. But, but, but the people on this call called it right last time. And it's because they're polling methodologies. And you have to call a lot of people on cell phones. It gets very expensive. Sometimes you do it online because if you just do landlines, the sample's too old. And you have to be a lot more careful and precise. And like I said, the people on, this, you know, four years ago, we were all saying it was going to be very, very close. And, you know, 
the New York Times was telling us 85% chance on election day that Hillary was going to win. Remember, they were talking about a Hillary lock. And, and all the Democrats were talking about in the media, the biased Democrat medias were talking about a Hillary lock, and they were telling us, go home. And that's kind of like a strategy. They try to discourage Republicans from coming out. And we had the president go into five or six cities a day, campaigning from 6 a.m. to midnight, because we told them it was going to be close. And we only won by 78,000 votes out of 139 million, which was a record. So, uh, so you have to be careful how you look at these polls, and you have to be very the people on these on this call are pretty skeptical when we look at it. It's an inexact science, but it's it's gotten more difficult. And uh, you know, the media they don't care when they take a poll. You know, they lose. They they say they're sorry. That's it. For people <laughs> like myself and the others on the phone, we it, it's everything. It's a it's a winner total win or lose uh, some game. So we're playing to win. Absolutely. And uh, John and Scott and Matt, thank you so much for for joining. Very educational, informative, and again. We don't know what the hell is going to happen, do we? (laughs) Because there's been so many twists and turns during this election year. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity, the Sean Hannity Show, back with much more, including Leo Terrell, one of the great guests that we've seen emerge this year on cable news. He's coming up. Stick around. The convention featured more than a dozen African-American speakers alone. But don't be fooled that the party of Trump has suddenly warmed to the same people Trump's policies and sometimes his rhetoric directly harms. As friend of the show, Ellie Massal wrote so eloquently in The Nation, the Republicans invited a cadre of professional black friends to validate Donald Trump and make white people feel a little less racist while still very much supporting white supremacy. I mean, I watched the Republican convention and seeing the slew of black speakers that they had, it really did look like a modern day minstrel show to me. Menstrual show. Fascinating. That is the person that replaced Joy Reid on her show, AM Joy, when Reid went to MSNBC primetime. And I want to bring in Leo Terrell to talk about this. Leo Terrell, obviously now a, a big star uh, on, on Fox News in terms of his appearances just seemingly going viral on an almost nightly basis. Uh, a civil rights attorney, a Democrat, or at least a former one, now saying that for the next 60 days, he wants to live in the battleground states to campaign on behalf of President Trump. Leo, how are you? Thanks for joining the show. Joe, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Of course. So you hear comments like that from an African-American. I don't want to even call her an anchor. That was more like the bad acting that you see on Cinemax at around three o'clock in the morning. But regardless, she hosts a show that has a national platform. When you hear these sort of things, do you say my God, this isn't even journalism anymore. This is propaganda. I, w- I, I saw her live when she announced that nonsense over the weekend, and I was offended. I was offended as an American. I happen to be black, but I'm an American first. And let me be very clear. Uh, I left the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party is the party of extreme uh, liberal views and a party that plays the race card. And when Joe Biden said, if you don't vote for me, you're a black, that insult to me as an American. And those people, Joe, who spoke at the Republican National Convention, Alice Johnson, Tim Scott, Herschel Walker, they told true American values of how 
how the Republican Party is a party of opportunity. And you know what, Joe? It scares the Democrats because that plantation mentality is being fractured because many black Americans are moving to the Republican Party. No one on the left thought that Leo Trow was going to leave. I left because that party is a party of racial politics, and I'm offended by that. And Leo, you're, you're not alone in terms of leaving the Democratic Party. The, the Hill, my, my publication, along with Harris X, recently released a poll that is got to be, you know, causing the, you know, the alarms to go off in the Biden camp, showing now the president has 24 percent support among blacks in the country. That's up nine points since the convention. He's up to 32 percent among Hispanics, just to put all that in context, because numbers, you know, need context in these situations. Mitt Romney got six percent of the black vote in 2012. And now we're seeing numbers of 24% for President Trump. If he gets something even remotely in that ballpark, it's lights out for the Democratic nominee. Oh, Oh, it's game over. It's absolutely game over. And let me be very clear. Blacks are moving towards the Republican Party because they see results. Donald Trump funding historical black colleges, opportunity zones, the lowest unemployment, the first step. These are real substantive programs that Donald Trump has done in less than four years. Joe Biden, absolutely zero. Kamala Harris, she likes to keep black uh, inmates incarcerated longer than their sentences, notwithstanding federal court order. There's real changes going on and opportunities for black Americans. And you're right, you quoted me. I want to go to those battleground states because the margin of victory in those battleground states is the difference between winning a second term. And I, I, I hope Donald Trump is listening right now. I want to put me in those battleground states for the next 60 to 70 days. I want to campaign 24-7 for the president. We need him or our American values are going to be lost. And we're talking to Leo Terrell. And, and Leo, I, I've heard, and it's just a rumor, may, I may be speculating a little bit, that the president does watch uh, Sean Hannity's Fox television show from time to time. Okay, basically every night. He's actually quoted, <laughs> he's quoted me on it. I'm like, oh, I guess he really is watching. But to that end, I would think that he would gladly accept your help in those states because, you know, obviously uh, you got to work in your passion a little bit if you just want a little advice from me. You know, you got you to really be a little more candid. But, yeah, I would think that he's probably going to gonna sign you up and then from there you, you campaign. But why, why do you think, though, that I, I mentioned that 24 percent number? Why still do you think, given that at the Democratic National Convention, that the riots and the looting and the violence in American cities where the black community is impacted most in these situations in terms of the violence. And Biden or Kamala Harris, who's only the former attorney general of the largest state in the country, they don't even mention it once to condemn it. I know they are now, but that's only because the polls came out saying, hey, you better talk about this a little bit more. But they didn't when they had the big audience during the DNC. When you were watching that, and you're like, are you kidding me? Are You're going to talk about this, right? And they're not. Why is it that they're so reluctant? Is because they're trying to court the very protesters that that vote or they just don't have the principles to stand up because they know the Democratic Party would revolt against them if they speak too sternly about it. Does that make sense? Com- com- it does. Combination of both. First of all, Joe, they made a deal with the devil. They made a deal with Antifa and Black Lives Matter. And let me be clear about Black Lives Matter. Leo Trail does not support Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Matter only cares if there is an officer involved in a black uh, shooting. Uh, involving a black man. They don't care about black officers like David Dorn, who was murdered on the streets protecting property. They don't care about the black-on-black crime. So this Black Lives Matter, that's a joke as far as I'm concerned. 
But Joe Biden and Kamala Harris has made a deal with the devil. They look the other way. All Democratic mayors have looked the other way, and they allow the looting and the robbing and the rioting to take place. As a result, those same criminals want those same Democratic mayors out, like Ted Wheeler in Portland, like in Seattle. You can't make a deal with the devil. But on the other hand, they got this crazy notion that those extremists represent mainstream blacks. Mainstream blacks, mainstream Democrats, Joe, believe in law and order. So to me, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are two misguided nominees. And Leo, if you look at, and we're talking to Leo Terrell, if you look at poll after poll within the African-American community, they don't want the police to be funded, to be defunded in any way, shape or form, because they know that they're the ones who are going to be impacted. And then people say, well, Joe Biden never said he would defund the police. No, I, I have the quote. He said, reallocate funds, which is the same thing when you're taking money away from one thing and put it uh, with the other. But listen to this in terms of media bias here. And I just Googled this real quick, but it's just stunning to me, uh, Leo. Trump is, this is a headline from Politico, quote, Trump attacks take a toll on Black Lives Matter support. So it's not what we see playing out on our screens in Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis, Atlanta, New York every night. It's because Trump is attacking them and that's why their poll numbers are going down. They've dropped nine points favorability, that's Black Lives Matter, since June. And they seem to be going in a direction where they're going to have less support than more disapproval. And you got to, in terms of all these sports leagues, Leo, hitching their wagons to Black Lives Matter, putting it on their courts, the back of their uniforms. I wonder if they're going to regret that decision, given that a lot more people are now waking up that the movement, while after the George Floyd shooting, which we all can agree was was the most horrific thing uh, that, that you're going to witness in terms of that. But after that, uh, they're, they're now have taken all that goodwill and have squandered it because it's no longer about the movement, it seems. I mean, Graceland was defamed for crying out loud yesterday. Graceland, Elvis. I mean, we can all agree we love Elvis. So what happens to Black Lives Matter from here, do you think? Well, I'll tell you right now. First of all, uh, you mentioned that NBA, uh, uh, they made the biggest mistake in the world. They made the most... They they gambled again with the devil, and they made a horrible mistake. They have alienated their viewers. And in my opinion, the NBA is another misguided soul that is in bed with the extreme Black Lives Matter. I mean, the Black Lives Matter strategy is backfiring. And that's why you hear Biden and Harris talking about crime in the cities. Well, it's too little, too late. They're only motivated by the polls. I saw Joe Biden's lollipop press conference today. Did he mention Antifa? No. Did he mention the Black Lives extremists who said in Chicago, it's okay to rob because, you know, these people are insured or AOC saying people are robbing for food and bread. This ludicrous position, the general public, the American public, they get it and they don't accept it. Every shooting since the George Floyd case, Joe, it's not the George Floyd case. The George Floyd case was unique, universal outrage, and that case has been manipulated by these extremist groups and the American public wakes up and says, no, 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 no. There's a lot of criminals out there and law enforcement have to do their job. That's why the American public is waking up, Joe. And you could follow Leo Terrell at the Leo Terrell. I like that. That 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 takes a little, little moxie. <laughs> I'm not just Leo Terrell. I am the Leo Terrell. All right. Get it right. Uh, but I, I see that also that you're you're satisfied with 
the moderators that were chosen for the debates, or at least the first one uh, anyway, that was announced today, by the way, and Chris Wallace of Fox News will do the first debate. That will be in early October. And the irony is that Donald Trump already kind of knows Chris Wallace because he did basically an hour in a hundred degree heat outside the White House in a suit, mind you, which which could have had to be a hoot, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever worn a suit in a hundred degree weather. And with makeup on, no less, right? He requested uh, it to be outside. Uh, and so Donald, let me tell you right now, Donald Trump is the greatest campaigner of all time. Donald Trump is ready to get in the ring, not late September, right now with Joe Biden. Again, I saw that weak press conference by Joe pa- Biden, lollipop question. I'll tell you right now, I'd rather have the first debate on Fox. I'd rather have Chris Wallace than any of the pool out there, especially from those other networks, because it would be totally unfair. So I think the uh, Commission on Presidential Debates picked a, a great moderator. If Chris Wallace is here and asks the same hard no questions to Joe Biden as he's done to uh, uh, Donald Trump, I think we're going to have an exciting debate. And I think it's going to be a critical key moment in the debate. The only sad part about it, it should take place next week before early voting. Well, that's exactly right. People are going to start casting their votes without actually hearing Joe Biden answer questions uh, in any real capacity, right? 90 minutes during a debate by a Chris Wallace. And again, the president sat down with him and Wallace shared with me uh, on iHeartRadio just a couple of weeks ago that he has been asking the Biden campaign on a weekly basis, do you want to join my Sunday show? And they always say that the former vice president is not available. Don't quite know what he has on the itinerary, but obviously he's ducking him. And now that's going to come back to haunt him. It should be noted also, Leo, that C-SPAN Steve Scully is going to do the October 15th debate. I don't mind that either because you never hear about media bias in C-SPAN. They kind of call a straight game, right? So that's good. And then NBC's Kristen Welker. I I think that's a decent choice. Also, the funny thing is, not funny, but CNN has been shut out for the first time since 2008 as far as having a moderator there. I can only imagine the president's reaction if C-SPAN, I'm sorry, if 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 CNN was chosen as in any way, shape, or form in terms of any of their anchors, because I, I, then there would have been a revolt. Anyway, Lee, we got about 30 seconds. Uh, so what's your prediction now that we're, I don't know, uh, only nine weeks away from Election Day? What happens uh, when we hit November? Who wins and by how much? Uh, advantage, in my opinion, Joe, I'm not just saying this because I've switched sides. I think Trump has momentum right now. I don't see that being stopped because I think the debates are going to be in his favor unless the bar is so low for Joe Biden. Prediction, I think Joe, I think Donald Trump pulls another inside straight. He wins the Electoral College. He may not win the popular vote, but Donald Trump will get four more years. And we're going to leave it on that note. Leo Terrell, this is our first conversation. I know we've done Fox News together before on similar segments, but I never got to interview you before. And again, work on that enthusiasm. All right? That's Joe, my only humble advice. I, this is my first time uh, on, uh, you know, you're doing radio. I think you do a very good job. I like it. Very quick. Oh, wow. It should point. be know that Leo has uh, PayPal, and apparently it works because uh, <laughs> I think it's <laughs> You're funny too, Joe. You're very funny. Good. (laughs) Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Humor will get you everywhere, they say. And we appreciate you joining. Thanks so much. More on the Sean Hannity Show. Joe Concha filling in on this last summer Wednesday before Labor Day. And an update. Breaking news story from before. I had reported that I broke two ribs falling off my chair after listening to Nancy Pelosi at a press conference today. Demand an apology from a salon owner that reported, basically, you know, turned her in for going to her salon when salons don't allow any indoor customers in California. But Pelosi had to have her hair done anyway. And now, and I mean, 
I, I couldn't believe this. By the way, my, my ribs aren't broken. It's only a deep bruise. I'll be okay. But listen to this and make sure if you're driving, pull over immediately because this is Nancy Pelosi not saying I apologize. I shouldn't have taken off my mask while indoors while getting uh, my hair done. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have gone to an indoor salon that wasn't open or talk about how salon shouldn't be open. Uh, no, this is what she had to say instead. No, I've been there many over the years. I've been there many times. I appreciate I appreciate the question. And let me just say this. I take responsibility for trusting uh, the word of a neighborhood salon that I've been to over the years many times. And that um, when they said, well, we're able to accommodate people one person at a time and that we can set up that time, I trusted that. As it turns out, it was a setup. So I take responsibility for falling for a setup. And that's all I'm going to say on that. That's it. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Don't you dare even think about asking about that ridiculous thing I just said. I, I, I have usually I'm supposed to, you know, talk during a talk radio show. I get paid by the word, I think. I don't know. Linda, the producer, you have to confirm that for me. But I'm speechless after that. The fact that she's demanding an apology for what she did that was beyond hypocritical, that was beyond elitist. And she wants the salon owner who can't operate her own business and open to apologize to her. The Trump campaign, I'm telling you, within 24 hours, that ad's coming out. <laughs> Guaranteed. Your phone calls next, 800-941-SEAN. Call in now. We're taking them. Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity, The Sean Hannity Show. Well, some more breaking news, everybody. Uh, it turns out that Canada's chief medical officer um, is now recommending that Masks should be worn during uh, the, the making love, during during the intercourse. Not quite sure how I want to say this during a family show. Uh, when you're having the intimate times with, with somebody else, you should wear a mask is what they are recommending at this point, which I'm not quite sure. In other words, the mask I get because it's a respiratory illness, coronavirus, right? But aren't there other things that may be in contact that you, I, I don't, I'm glad I'm married. I, 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 that's all I have to say, because if, it, if this were single me, if this were 2005 me, and I had to go on a date with someone, I don't know. Am I taking their temperature before, uh, you know, leaning in for, for a small kiss goodnight at the you end of the day? should have had me run a disclaimer before the segment, Joe. R right. Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. Probably should have done that. Uh, but still, I, I just don't get it. I mean, to wear a mask during that, I, I guess it could be, you know kind of throw a little uh, spice into a, you know, a more stale relationship, the mask thing. I, I, I know I've done that before. They, they called that 2003. But the point is, let's take some calls right now before I'm never invited to fill in on this show again. And by the way, this is Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity show. Live Free or Die, by the way, is the book by Sean that's uh, selling by the millions. And you got Labor Day weekend coming up. That might be just the thing to read uh, because this is Sean's first book, I believe, in 10 years. So uh, certainly a lot of effort put in this one, uh, talking about how this is the most election, most important election of our lifetimes. And you know, I know we always hear that, like every election is the most important election. I think this is. No, I don't think. I'm 100% sure I know. Anyway, let's go to my former home of Maryland, where Chris is calling in. Chris, are you calling from College Park in a little place called Bentley's, or are you somewhere else? Hello, are you talking to me? I am, Chris. You're calling from Maryland. I'm oh, a former Terp. So yeah, I was uh, cool. waxing Actually, nostalgic. Right, right now I'm in Frederick County. 
Okay, so you're a little more uh, north and west. I, I know Frederick quite well. I dated a girl yeah. from Frederick once. Anyway, long a story for another time. Wasn't wearing a mask at the time. So uh, what do you think as far as this scenario that we talked about earlier in the show, which was uh, this one Democratic analyst, and he makes a good argument, I think. You may not agree with it, but it's a, definitely a plausible scenario where Donald Trump on election night has clearly more votes than Joe Biden, but then the mail-in ballots end up in Joe Biden the presidency, which would destroy this country because no, neither side would accept the result if it happened one way or the other. So uh, what do you think about as far as mail-in voting for, against, are you going to do it? Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I am against that because I think that it's going to lead to a lot of fraud. And actually, Joe, remember when all that, the real ID, which I think was like a, uh, a federally mandated thing with the, the licenses, you had to go and renew your license with this real ID and it had the little star with a circle on there and you had to show like your birth certificate and some stuff. And to me, that was a way of saying, okay, we need to establish, you know, because I was, I assumed you were going to have to show that for voting purposes, but all that got thrown out the window with the COVID thing. Like I got mine, but my wife was scheduled to get hers and that got put on hold due to this whole COVID thing. So I feel like that measure was set up to discourage voter fraud because you had to kind of go in a new to the DMV and prove, hey, I'm an American citizen, giving my new real ID license. That's out the window. But yeah, I'm against it. I don't know. I wanted to get your thoughts. What do you think are some measures Trump can do? Now, you know, he's sitting there, he knows, okay, this is going to happen. I think I heard the statistic, like, it could be up to 80 million people are going to be mail-in voting um, between the states that are allowing it. So, and I'm not talking absentee, I'm talking, you know, mail-in voting. I think that was the the statistic I heard, I think back in 2016, it was something like 50 million people did it. Now it could be as much as 80 million. So I don't know. What can Trump do? What are some measures he can take to ensure that there's not not a lot of this uh, ballot harvesting and fraud going on? Any thoughts on that? You know what? I, I live in Jersey now, and I live about 10 minutes away from a city called Patterson, right? And there, they had a simple board of ed election. Right. We're not talking a presidential election, Chris, where you have 125, 130 million people voting. It's I don't know. I, I don't know the total number of ballots, but it was only a couple of hundred. And that ended up that that, that election has now been canceled because there was ballot stuffing. There are people who have now been arrested since this happened. And you say, well, that's one example. But, you know, throughout the entire country, these things seem to work well for the most part. I don't know, because here you have the mayor of Patterson, who at last check is quite the Democrat, who does not like this president in any way, shape or form. And he is saying that we are headed towards a disaster, that if this happened in my small city over a board of ed election, then what's to prevent this from happening? I'm not saying widespread everywhere, but enough in a close election to tip the scales between keeping the 45th president or getting a 46th president. And even in New York City, by the way, we had two congressional races in June, mind you, and we still don't know the winner. That's just a congressional race where no one votes. So again, I don't think we're going to have, and I'm not exactly making a bold prediction here, we're not going to have a decision on this election. Remember election night in 2016, and I think it was around 2, 2.30 in the morning, and I remember uh, the AP called... Pennsylvania for Trump, and that is that in essence gave him the election because uh, he clinched the electoral college, and that's not going to happen this time around. Two, three o'clock in the morning, we're talking more like not even Thanksgiving. If it takes two months, if there's a delay in two months in a New York congressional election where they still can't quite figure out how to count all these things or where certain ballots are, 
we're screwed. I mean, you're not going to have a president maybe on June, I'm sorry, on January 20th, 2021, which means, again, if you're driving, you might want to put two hands in the wheel, you have President Pelosi. That's how that works. If there isn't a winner declared by the time inauguration is supposed to come, the Speaker of the House becomes your president and you have a President Pelosi. Sweet dreams. Have fun. I'm telling you. And and no matter who wins, half the country is not going to accept the outcome. Because if if President Trump wins, then of course, and I can't believe people still actually believe this stuff, particularly after the Mueller report, the Russians helped him win. The Russians hacked the election. Trump cheated. Trump stole the election somehow. And if Biden wins, then most of you out there are going to say that the mail-in ballots were manipulated in some way. And if there is any, even one or two examples of it happening somewhere in the country, then that's enough to say, you know what? Was it Rico, right? It happens with one little area or two little areas. That means it could have happened in in a bunch of areas. So I'm telling you, we may be permanently broken after this election one way or another. I think we're already like permanently divided, but this will seal the deal. Believe me. Anyway, let's get to some other calls, shall we? We'll go a little bit north. I believe we're still below the Mason-Dixon, however. My my history on this is a little bit fuzzy, but let's go to Blue Hen Country, Delaware. Claire wants to talk about mail-in voting as well. Hey, Claire, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? I just have two questions. One, and I may be wrong on this. I thought when this started, if there was a way, a change in the way voting was going to occur, it required congressional approval. So did that happen? And number two, why are the Republicans not fighting this in court? I mean, the absentee ballots is mail-in voting. You call, get your absentee ballot. You know, you mark it, get it notarized. We know who you are. You send it back. But even if if you want to argue and they can't get by on that, why are parameters not set up? Why are the Republicans not fighting in the courts for parameters? Let's say the last two weeks of October are the only dates. These are the cutoff periods. After that, none will be accepted So or counted so that we know on Election Day what the answer will be. But I will say one thing for Democrats. If this shoe was reversed and they thought it would go against them, they would be screaming in the courts. And I don't hear anything out of the Republicans. You would think there'd be more of a fight. I, I agree. And with ballots going out next week, it's already beginning. Like, I don't know how you stop it. You know, the toothpaste is out of the tube, so to well, speak, Claire. Who, but who allowed that, though? Who allowed it? How, how do you well, just make up this? This is how it's going. Who approved it and said this is okay? leaders in the Senate, perhaps. The president's been screaming about it, but but the Republican Party behind him doesn't seem to be fighting it all that much, to, to your point. And, and to answer your first question, Congress did pass what's called the Help America Vote Act, right? And look, with coronavirus, that provided some nice cover. But now, again, if we could go out and we could protest and we could loot and we could do all these things in public places, I'm pretty sure that we can go and vote in person. And even in Wisconsin, they had an election back in June where everybody was screaming it was going to be a super spreader event and there was no uptick in cases whatsoever. We appreciate the call, Claire. Thanks so much. Um, hmm, I like this question. And this is from my adopted home city of Chicago. I am New Jersey's only bears... (laughs) And only Cubs fan. Go figure on that one. Will, what do you got? How you doing, Joe? I just outstanding. Say, I love Gibson's. Uh, Is that place still open, by the way? Uh, I haven't been down in that part of the city, but if anything's open, uh, the Rush Street area is open. We'll leave it at okay. that. Okay, <laughs> that'll <laughs> work. I want to say something. I think, I think in in the media world, you're one of the most straight shooting guys I've ever listened to. And anytime I come in and out of a room, 
If you're on TV, I stop to listen to you, honestly. Wow. Will, I, I know that I sent you the Venmo before this uh, phone call, but uh, hey, I, I'm glad it went through, and I appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. Listen, here's my only issue. If you're President Trump, given the one-sided you know, negative criticism that he receives on a daily basis from the mainstream news media, don't you think that he should have a problem with someone like Welker? I've watched a great many of these press briefings, and I've watched her remarks after the briefings, and she is highly critical of Trump and the Republicans, and I don't see it with her and the Democrats. There's, it's not the same. Also, Joe, it says the moderators will be, a lot, they will be in charge of selecting their own questions, which will not be known to the candidates or the commission. If you're Donald Trump, shouldn't you have a big problem with that? Why can't it just be... We're going to have the same question for you two minutes and the same question for you two minutes. That would be fair, right? <laughs> that would make sense. I mean, I, uh, am, am I wrong, Joe, to say that or no? You're not. You're not wrong. But the problem is Trump or Biden doesn't have a say in the moderators. The, the president, the commission for presidential debates, they're the only ones that decide this. You know, like the Politburo, or like it's okay. This is who you're getting. And if you don't like it, well, tough, because this is the moderators that we're going with. I have a feeling Trump doesn't mind Chris Wallace being selected because he did do an hour with him in a 95 degree day in a suit, you know, mind you, outside in July. Right. And and also Joe Biden is asked by Wallace every week, I want you to come on my program the same way Trump did. And Biden always has something else to do. If, you know, changing salt shakers or cleaning out the gutter, which I, I probably, you know, I think about it, that's probably not one of those things. But yeah, he, he's clearly avoided Wallace. Now he can't avoid Wallace. That's a good thing. And and I like Scully from C-SPAN because C-SPAN kind of, you know, they may be boring, but at least they're not biased. I think they kind of call a straight game and they'll probably stick to policy, which I, I pray that's the case. Uh, in Welker's case, you know, I would have gone with like a Margaret Brennan if they wanted to put a woman in there, because obviously you have to check off some boxes in, in this day and age. Uh, I think she's good. She's on Face the Nation on CBS, and you have to spread it out. You can't have like two people from Fox. Uh, CNN did get cut out, right. so I'm sure the president's happy about that as well. So uh, look, in the end, I, I hear what you're saying about the questions, but we saw Joe Biden during a press conference today, and it didn't go well, because once you take him out of prompter in any way, shape, or form, he just doesn't really make all that much sense. And this isn't somebody who always has been clumsy. I mean, 2012, I saw him debate Joe, uh, uh, Paul Ryan, and he did a pretty good job. Yeah. So he, he uh, won that debate. He did. You're right. Debate. I agree with you, Joe. And let me tell you something. I, I just want to say, again, you're a consummate professional. Keep it up. You're a breath of fresh air. Whenever I turn on media, I know I can turn you on, and I know I'll get it straight no matter what side you're talking about. Will, I appreciate that. And when I come to Chicago in 2025 or whenever I can leave the house again, uh, we'll go to a Bears game. Uh, tickets on me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Let's do one more phone call. And let's go to Richard in north of the border. I know we're big in Canada, the Sean Hannity show, but always good to talk to a hab. How are you, Richard? Go ahead. Great, great. Uh, hey, I got a little comment for you about Biden, uh, you know, and the Trump, uh, him showing up for uh, uh, a debate. He, he doesn't show up for anything. He hasn't shown up for 50 years for anything. So maybe they should have a, 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 a debate and they ask Mr. Trump a question and he can answer and then they can go to an empty seat uh, beside him and say, well, Mr. Biden, what do you think? I, I hear this question and Richard, I appreciate the call. Thanks so much. As far as will Biden show up? Yeah, he'll show up. I, if he doesn't show up, then the election's over. 
I don't care what the excuse is. You can't say it's COVID, by the way, because he happened to do a debate with Bernie Sanders. Remember when everybody else dropped out and Bernie, uh, and, and rightly so, he, he stayed in, uh, at least in March. It was a one-on-one between Bernie and Biden. And that was done when they're on the same stage. It wasn't done virtually. So that the COVID argument that I hear from people, and the Biden campaign hasn't made that argument in any way, shape, or form. But that actual argument, I'm not buying it, you know, because obviously that's safe, so that's fine. So the question is, will the questions focus on taxes, which is a very big deal, law and order, which is a very big deal, and everything Joe Biden wants to do in terms of expanding government? That's all. And if they are focused on that, then it's lights out for the Democratic nominee.